Good morning, everyone. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. Good to have you. Welcome to all of you. Most gorgeous Sunday morning ever. Uh, one of those days we should be having church outside. Uh, good to see you. Open your Bibles to Psalm 24. We're starting a new message series entitled The Language of God, talking about faith and science. I love science. I've always been kind of a, a nerd like that. I don't, know if it's, uh, I don't know if it's about science or just about being a kid from the country who never had anything to do other than explore, uh, but I did a lot, of, a lot of exploration. I got my first chemistry set when I was in second grade, nerd alert, and uh, I guess about fourth or fifth grade, I got interested in taxidermy, which is, you know, like stuffing animals, like animals that used to be live. Uh, I had a hamster that died, and I loved the hamster so much I just couldn't really put her in the ground, so I stuffed her and uh, still have her. It's awesome. Uh, Seriously, she lives in my room at my parents' house. Uh, it's, it's awesome. After I stuffed the hamster, I wanted to continue stuffing other animals, and I found a dead mole in the yard, and I thought, man, that would be perfect. Moles are really soft. You ever handled a mole? They're awesome. So I thought, I will stuff that mole, but I don't have time today, because, you know, as a nine-year-old, I had such a busy life. And so I took the dead mole and put it in a bread sack and stuck it in the fridge you know, to keep it cool until I could get back to it. Well, I never got back to it. I forgot all about the dead mole in the fridge. And then one day, a long time later, my mother screams, ah, in the kitchen. And I'm thinking, what is her trouble? What's her problem? And uh, yes, yeah, she found this dead, rotting mole uh, in, in, in the fridge. Uh, so you're all welcome to come over to the house for, for lunch anytime at my mother's house. I loved dinosaurs as a kid. I, I loved everything about them. They were big. I loved to draw them. I loved to think about them. Just amazing to me. Uh, but I also remember the day in Sunday school and church, I asked my teacher about dinosaurs and why they weren't in the Bible. And that's the first day I realized that there's certain things you don't talk about much in church, dinosaurs being one of them. Uh, my teacher got really awkward and really kind of embarrassed. And I got the idea that I shouldn't have asked that question. And being a good church kid, I didn't ask it again. I, I felt like it was wrong to ask. Now, I, I, I'll say, I'm 49 years old now. I've stayed in the church all of these years. I'm still very, very passionate about science and everything God has made. Uh, I am more passionate about my faith, about Christ, and about God's Word. But I would say that there are a whole lot of people who haven't been able to hold these things together and, and many who tried and failed, and, and they're telling us that these days, lots and lots of young people feel very pressed to make a choice between faith and science. The implication is that they're somehow incompatible, that you can't love both, that you can't believe both. And what they're telling us these days is that there are a lot of young people who are abandoning the church for that reason. They abandon the church because for whatever reason, they believe that they must choose between faith and science. Now, let me tell you up front, I believe that's a false choice. I don't believe for a moment that faith and science are incompatible, and I want us to talk about that now for, uh, for, for the next few weeks. There's sort of one guiding principle I want us to carry throughout, for, throughout this conversation, throughout this series, and, and it's just simply this. I want you to trust God before human ideas. All right, sound basic? I want you to trust God before any human ideas. Now, let me say this. Evolution, for example, is a human idea. Trust God before human ideas. But I would also want you to recognize that there are 
a lot of biblical interpretations, it also would be human ideas. Sometimes, even though we love the Bible and we read it very carefully, we can mishandle the Bible. And when we mishandle the Bible, we can end up teaching, preaching, believing things that aren't in the Bible. And those are human ideas. So whether the human ideas have to do with the Bible or have to do with science, let's commit together that we're going to trust God before any human ideas. Now, what I firmly believe is that the best science and the best uh, biblical interpretation will never be in contradiction because if it's true, it's true, and all truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. If it's truth, it belongs to God, and we can celebrate that and uh, teach that. We don't have to be afraid of that. Truth is God's truth. Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2, two verses for our text today. This is good stuff. Jump in with me. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. The earth is the Lord, Lord's and everything in it. Very, very basic principle of creation that the scripture teaches. This is where it all begins. You just must believe this, that everything comes from God. You understand that? Everything comes from God. Everything that is, is because God wanted it to be. God calls everything into existence. He is the source of everything. God created everything, except maybe cats, Marie, and the, the Satan created, I'm kidding, Satan didn't create cats. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Marie loves cats. Marie's got cat clothes and, and a million cats. Uh, please don't send me an email or a kitten. Um, God created everything. Absolutely everything comes from him. Now, this is radical. In Scripture, when you get that principle, understand in the, in, in the biblical world, there were lots of rival gods for, for, for pagan civilizations. They often worshipped features from creation. They worshipped the moon. They worshipped the sun. They worshipped the ocean. They might worship great trees. They might worship great beasts. But the point is, in Scripture, God created everything that is. There is no other God, no other deity. Nothing else is worthy of our worship. Nothing else is, is uncreated. Everything is created except for God himself. He is the one that is completely from all eternity God. The only one. Everything that is, is because God wanted it to be. God is the creator of everything and everything else is his creation. So there's God and there's everything else. So understand that. Everything else is, is the created order. Everything else is, is creation. What God has made is characterized by certain, certain categories like, um, like space and, and, and time and, and matter. But none of these things apply to God. God is not material. He's not made of atoms and elements like everything else. God is spirit, the scripture says, for example. He's spirit. And God isn't subject to time. We often have our minds blown by thinking about time, either long, long periods of time or brief, brief moments of time. But understand, God isn't subject to time. He's outside of time. God is what we call eternal. God is e e eternal. And while we think about things in the creation occupying space, it's either so big or so small, those categories don't even apply to God. God is what we would call infinite. He's infinite. So he's spiritual. He's spirit. He's infinite. He is eternal. And nothing else in all the creation is like him. God is a creator and everything else, everything else is his creation. Now, 
one of the things you need to understand is because God is totally transcendent of, of everything else, only God can reveal himself to us. Since he's not material, since he's not in, in time or in space, we really can't know him unless he reveals himself to us. And, and this is important. The only thing we can possibly know about God is what God chooses to show us. The good news is he wants us to know him. He wants us to know him, so he makes himself known. But, but honestly, outside of God's revealing himself to us, we can't discover him. We can't study him. We can't in any way as scientists learn about him more or come to conclusions about spiritual things. It's absolutely outside our realm. God is God and everything else is his creation. Now, here's where it gets fun though. You can learn about God by studying creation because that's how God intends it. Creation exhibits God's choices. Remember I said everything that is, is because God created it. So therefore, when you look at the world, the universe, you can learn about God because creation exhibits God's choices. Get this. He creates whatever and however it pleases him. Amen. Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 says this. You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and they exist because you created, say it, what you pleased. You created what you pleased. So creation reveals God's pleasure. It reveals God's choices. And we can begin to know about God as we study his creation because it reflects God. It reflects uh, the one who made everything. So what about science? What is science? And very simply, a definition from Johann Kepler, who's one of the fathers of modern astronomy, modern science. This is what he said, studying the physical world, which is what science is, simply studying the physical world, allows us to think God's thoughts after him. Kepler was a very deep and passionate man of faith. He loved God. And he loved science. And he believed since the world and everything in it was made by God, that as you studied the physical world, you were actually thinking God's thoughts after him. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. Understand, he's way beyond us. But you can learn about God by studying creation. Now, Romans 1 says this. This is a familiar verse to some of you. Ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Now, like I said, only God can reveal God. You're not going to discover him in creation, but God reveals himself to us through creation. So you can learn about his invisible qualities. You can learn about his power. You can know something about his nature by looking at the world. And, and, and this is the point. This is what Kepler means when he says by studying the physical world, it's like thinking God's thoughts after him. God created such an elegant and magnificent universe. And as we begin to study and understand more deeply what God has made, you can begin to understand more and more about God's qualities, his power, his nature. Verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. I love that. You know, I, I read where they discovered this amazing fossil uh, it's called an ichthyosaur. It's it probably at one point roamed the earth where it was now China. This ichthyosaur was the size of a bus, a reptile the size of a bus. And she was pregnant when she died. 
So you have this fossil, this fossilized ichthyosaur, the size of a bus, that lived, they say, 250 million years ago. 250 million years ago. Now, I know there's some Christians who would just, that would bother them. They'd worry about that. They would say, that's not in the Bible. That, that can't be true. She can't be that old. Somebody made that up. I just don't understand that fear. I don't understand that desire not to celebrate that discovery. Because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You understand? So if the earth contains the fossil of a 250 million year old ichthyosaur who was pregnant, you understand? She brings God glory. She brought God glory in her life 250 million years ago, and she brings God glory now in the discovery. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So anything that we observe, anything that we discover, it's the Lord's. Do you understand? It's the Lord's. It brings him glory, and it can help us know more and more about his invisible qualities, about his eternal power and divine nature. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Verse 2, for he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. All right, think about that. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. It's verses like that that cause people trouble these days. Psalm is 24 is the Psalm of David. Verse 1 and 2 are verses that praise the God of creation. But verse 2 is, is poetic language. It really doesn't reflect a 21st century uh, scientific description of how the earth is formed. And some people don't know what to do about that. He laid the earth's foundation on the seas. He built it on the ocean's depths. Let's just be honest. David, the psalmist, assumed that the earth was flat. He just did. If you look at the Old Testament, they had this certain idea of what the universe looked like. And, and, and you can't miss it if you read closely all through the, the Scripture. They had this idea of what the universe looked like. And it looks like this. If I could draw you a picture, it, it, it looks like this. Remember in Genesis 1 and 2, which we'll talk about next week, it says that God, when he created, he separated the waters above from the waters below. So they literally believed that there was water up there and there was water down here and that the earth occupied this space between the waters. Now, this is coming from Scripture. They believed that, that it occupied this space between the waters. The earth itself was flat and it sat on pillars. You'll read through the Old Testament references to the pillars of the earth. They assumed that, that the earth sat on something that kept it up out of the waters below. So they talked about the pillars of the earth. It's, it's kind of poetic language, but it also sort of just describes the, the world as, as they could conceive it. Now, the fact that they assumed the earth was flat doesn't make them unique. I mean, everybody forever assumed the earth was flat until about the 15th century. So they assumed that the earth was flat. Common sense would make you think the earth is flat. It looks flat. So a lot of times in Scripture, the, the kind of language you have that describes the physical world is observational. This is how it looked to them. And the earth looks flat. Then they, they speak of the firmament. And in Genesis, it talks about the firmament that, that holds back the waters above. It's like the sky. But they thought of the sky as like this big bowl that sits on top of the earth and holds back the waters. 
And then, of course, the firmament, the sky has windows, the windows of heaven that you read about in the Old Testament, because rain falls. And so they just assume that if water comes down, water must be up there, and it must come down through windows, through the floodgates of heaven, so to speak. So they assumed that there were windows up there, and then the sun, moon, and stars were just hanging up there, sort of like at your senior prom if you made stars out of aluminum foil and dangled them up there. They had no idea how vast and infinite the universe was. They just sort of assumed that those heavenly bodies were hanging up there on this side of the firmament. Now, that's not what we know now. So what do we do about this? The psalmist says he laid the earth's foundation on the seas. It's it's, it's this poetic language. But what do we do with that? This is the struggle for us today, for many, many people who walk away from Scripture because of that kind of poetic language. It doesn't match scientific knowledge of our day. Well, Let's talk about that. Let's go back to Scripture and what it is. This is 2 Timothy chapter 3, one of the most foundational verses about Scripture. All Scripture is, say the word, God-breathed. It's the same word for inspiration. That's what we mean by inspired. All Scripture is inspired. All Scripture, every page, every jot, every tittle is God-breathed. So the Bible is God's inspired word. The Bible says what it is, and that's what it is. It's God's inspired word. The Bible says what it is. It also tells us what it's for, okay? So all scriptures God breathe and is useful for, tells us what it's for, for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness, so that God's people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the Bible tells us what it is. It's God's inspired word, and it tells us what it's for. It's for instruction in righteousness. The Bible primarily is concerned with matters of faith. But if you take Jesus' own word in the Gospel of John, Jesus says every single part of Scripture points to him. So Scripture points to Jesus. It is intended to point us to Jesus. Scripture is not intended to be a science textbook. It's just not. And to say that isn't to criticize Scripture. Sometimes we need to be a little more clear about what the Bible is not. Y'all ever hang out at Walmart? I, I, I do Walmart grocery shopping every single Monday. That's my day off. Um, man, those little bitty books sometimes by the cash register just, just burn me up. Uh, one little book a while back said, uh, The Bible Secrets About UFOs. The Bible secrets about UFOs. Okay, I have read the entire Bible. There are no secrets about UFOs. You you understand? I saw a little book that said, lose weight the Bible's way. As if the Bible is a diet plan. There are now, Google this, there are now several full-blown cookbooks of recipes from the Bible. One lady has a pretty pretty best-selling cookbook right now with 50 recipes from the Bible. 50. 50. Have y'all read the Bible? How many recipes did you run across? If you eat recipes from the Bible, you're going to eat a whole lot of Lord's Supper, and that's about it. You understand? There's just not 50 recipes in there. It's really, really interesting what people try to make the Bible to be. One day in Walmart, I was checking out. It was this particular day back in the winter. Walmart that day had nothing on the shelves. I couldn't understand. I mean, literally everything I went to look for was gone. It was strange. 
So my way out, I asked the cashier, I, I see her lots of weeks, I, I'm familiar with her. I just said, listen, uh, why are the shelves so bare today? What's up with the shelves in Walmart? She said, you can read about it in Revelation. She did. She came across the cashier and whispered, you can read about it in Revelation. I said, I mean, I'm not really being smart like I just said, really, the empty shelves in Walmart are in Revelation? She said, everything's in Revelation. You need to read it. Well, I have read it. I have read it. About that time, the lady behind me said, empty shelves ain't because of Revelation, it's because of Obama. It's Obama. So now I got Obama mama back here and Revelation lady here. So she said, it ain't Revelation, it's Obama. Then the Revelation lady said, Obama's in Revelation too. He's all in the Bible. Yeah, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. If you're reading the Bible looking for Obama, you're missing the point. If you're reading the Bible looking for Walmart, you're probably missing the point. Incidentally, one of our church members works at Walmart. I said, what's the deal with the empty shelves? He said, you know, the people at Walmart are just too lazy to stock them. Yeah. <laughs> he, work, he works there. That's what he says. They're just too lazy to stock them. What's my point? The Bible is not intended by God to be a cookbook. And the fact that I say it makes a lousy cookbook, I'm not saying something negative about the Bible. It's just not intended to be a cookbook. Or a diet plan? Come on. And sometimes we as God's people, we love the Bible, and in our effort to elevate it, we end up making some, some sometimes rather silly claims for it. And we don't help the Bible when we do that. We should be honest about what the Bible is and forthright about what the Bible is for. And as I say, the Bible doesn't make a very good science textbook. It just doesn't. And when I say that, I'm not saying something nasty about the Bible. I love God's Word. I live for God's Word. This is God's inspired Word. I can't really explain to you why God didn't give David a Ph.D. in cosmology before he inspired him to write Psalm 24. But all I can say is Psalm 24 just isn't intended to give us that. It's a rather marvelous psalm praising the God who makes everything and his relationship to everything and then talking about who can come into his presence. You understand? That's what God wanted to give us. Not so much concerned about how the earth is situated in the universe. That's not the point. So to look at it and try to make that the point is in some ways to, to evaluate Scripture by a standard that's, that's, that's alien to it. You're not making more of the Bible there. You're mishandling it. Here's what I think. The Bible reveals what God wants it to reveal about his creation. We find out everything that God wants us to know about the physical world in the Bible. He, he, it's just what he gave us. He reveals it to us. And what he reveals to us are the most important parts of creation. It's what you need to know. First off, that God made it. God made it. it. It didn't just somehow appear. It didn't evolve by accident. It, it, it was created. It has a beginning and an end. And the Alpha and Omega, you know, that's God. He's the creator. This is what the Bible teaches, that there's a creator and everything else is his creation. The Bible is also very clear that everything God has made, that creation itself is suspended in this struggle, this struggle that has to do with our sin and our salvation. 
The Bible also makes perfectly clear that the point, the purpose, the aim of all creation is Jesus. He is the one by whom, for whom, and through whom everything was made. Everything points to Jesus. Do you understand that? So the Bible reveals exactly what God wants to reveal about his creation. But, but get this, there is much God has left hidden in the universe. The 250 million year old fossil in China. Do you understand? It's part of God's creation. He leaves these things hidden in the universe for us to discover. And the discovery delights God. He takes delight in that. He's created us with this ability to think his thoughts after him. He's left his fingerprints all through creation. And it delights him when we discover these things after him. God must love this. He created us this way. If you ever look at the planet Earth and you look at the other planets in our solar system, not to mention all the other planets that, that we can possibly now discover or name, Earth's unique. Even in our solar system, it's unique. It's, it's beautiful. We, we call it a big blue marble. When you look at it in, in pictures from space, it, it absolutely glows. It's beautiful. Venus, not so much. Mars, no. Neptune, no. Jupiter? No. Earth is different. For one thing, when you see Earth from, from a distance, you can see the water, you can see the land, you can see the surface. God made our atmosphere transparent, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. Because the other planets, Venus, Mercury, the atmosphere is thick and you can't see you can't see through the clouds. You can't see through the methane. But God put us on this beautiful planet with a transparent sky so that, of all things, we can see the stars. He created us so that we could observe and learn and discover, and that discovery must delight him. It brings him glory. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, Psalm 24 says. The world and all its people belong to him. One of the big concerns with contemporary science is the way it seems to rob human beings of our dignity. The idea that we just evolved from monkeys somehow makes us seem very, very unspecial, uh, ununique in the, in the universe, in creation. That's not what the Bible teaches. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and its people. God loves people. Now, the book of Genesis does say that Adam was created out of the same dust. We would say the same DNA, and, and it's true, we are now. We understand that we're created from the same material as everything else in all creation, and yet, and yet, different. The way the Bible puts it, God, God breathed his breath into us. He, he created us special in his image. That means... Of everything else in all the universe, everything else in all God's creation, human beings are different. We're special because we're made in his image. That means of all things that when I walk through this earth, walk through the world that God has made, you and I sort of represent him in the world. We bear his image, his likeness. Amazing. It also says in Scripture that in one way or the other, we, we exercise part of his dominion. He's given us part of his dominion over creation. He, he, he shares that with us. No other creature in all the universe is allowed to share in these prerogatives that belong only to God. 
And in his image, we are enabled to know him and to know that he knows us. I love science. I love to think about the distances, the galaxies, the multiverse, the tiny things, the quarks, and the particles, but there is no miracle in all creation that is greater than that simple miracle of understanding that the God, the infinite God who created all of this knows us. That somehow in all of this, we are the special focus of his attention and affection. Later when the psalmist thinks about this, this he says, God, when I consider the, the sun and the stars and everything that you've made, I just wonder, what am I that you're mindful of me? God, in all of his bigness, takes note of you in all your smallness. That is the greatest miracle of all creation, that he knows your name. So understand something. The story of creation from beginning to end is not really a science story. It's a salvation story. The Christian message is not a science message. It is a salvation message. You are not confronted with a choice about science. You are confronted with a choice about Jesus. Understand this. As you and I think through some of these things in the next few weeks, as we work through Genesis 1 and 2 next week, you and I may disagree on the science, but we're going to agree about the Jesus part. It's a story of salvation, not a story of science. And when you are confronted with the message of Scripture, you're not going to be asked to make a choice about science, but you will be required to make a choice about Jesus. He is the one through whom, by whom, and for whom everything was made, and without him was not anything made that was made. It's about Jesus. He is the Christ of creation. And you are the special focus of his attention and affection. He knows your name. Pray with me. God, forgive us for making you seem so small sometimes. Some of us, Lord, we preach and we make you sound no bigger than our church. No bigger than our brains, no bigger than our vocabularies, Lord. We make you so small. But God, in the universe that you have made, you reveal that you are a God who is infinite. A God who is beyond and transcendent of all of our ability to grasp and describe. Lord, you're beyond our words. You are beyond our minds. You're beyond all science. God, you alone are God. If it were not for your grace and your desire to be known, Lord, we wouldn't even be able to know you. But you choose to reveal yourself to us. And for this, we give you thanks and praise. With all of the glorious things that your hands have made, we really don't understand to this day why it is that you love us so. Why it is that you focus on us. Why it is that each and every one of us in this room today can say that you know our name. But it is true. 
You're not just the maker of heaven and earth. You're not just the Lord of the Argentinosaurus and the creator of the Triangulum Galaxy. You're not just the king of quarks and quasars. You are my maker. You formed me. You know me. Lord Jesus, I pray that anyone in this house today who struggled with these things, anyone, Lord, who has been struggling with doubt, science, not knowing, Lord, how to choose, Lord, I just simply pray today that you would show them yourself. Show them, Lord, that you are the creator. Show them, Lord, that they are the special focus of your grace and love. Lord Jesus, there's so many things that we will never understand. Some things, Lord, can only be received as a gift. And your love is such a gift. Help us, Lord, to praise you, to know you, to represent you in this world as we were created to do. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.